Hello, and welcome to Achievement Oriented, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. We are the Ringer's official video game podcast, and my name is Ben Lindbergh. I'm a writer for the Ringer on the other line, also a writer for the Ringer, a Porg apologist, Jason Concepcion. Hello, Jason. Uh, Porgs are cute. That's it. I it, it gives me no pleasure to disagree with you because you're usually on the right side of history. Oh, wow. and it worries me that we disagree about anything. Although we, we don't disagree that they're cute. They're certainly cute. I think we disagree on the interpretation of that cuteness. Um, yeah, my interpretation is this. Star Wars, as Lucas yes. has, has stated explicitly numerous times, was yes. always envisioned as a children's story. That that agree. That aesthetic is there. It's in the DNA. He meant yeah. this for kids. R two D two is yes. cute. Chewbacca's a fucking dog. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Chewbacca's yeah. not cute. Chewbacca's because he's cool. big. He's not cute. Because he's, he's big. But he's it, angry. Is he? What has Sometimes. he ever? Here's the thing. He's never done anything. He's all bark. <laughs> He's literally not done anything that anybody else has done. He, yes, he shot stormtroopers, you know, like and pl- pretended to be mad when they had yeah, him like in, in pretend chains. Yeah, but yeah. that's like all normal stuff. Like he's he still is just cute and sitting there and you know Yoda is cute. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about Yoda's cute. Yoda's Yoda, cute. He's well, a, a frog. Yoda's cuteness. Yoda's, a frog. Yoda's cuteness is a false flag. He's, <laughs> he, he puts on a, a cute veneer. Sure. Cute facade just to disarm you, but then he's solemn and wise. Listen, here's the thing, and this is yeah. hashtag Yoda is bad. And now listen, stop. <laughs> before you, you Yoda, Emperor, Emperor Palpatine is out here in the prequels, accru, uh, uh-huh. accruing power like no oh, other. We're gonna taking talk about taking the power from the Senate, the saying stuff like, I love democracy. <laughs> I love the Republic and then making really evil faces and hanging out with Anakin Skywalker. And meanwhile, yeah. Yoda's like, Sith Lord somewhere. We have no idea where. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then he goes and hides in fucking Dagobah and his training regime is like stack these rocks. What is Yoda doing? He's not doing anything. Like, I like Yoda. I lo- He's a good guy. 900 years old, all that. He didn't do anything. He's not doing anything. What's he doing? Jason, let me tell you about the parable of Darth Plagueis the Wise. <laughs> yes, I know that. We don't have time for that. All I want to say, look, we haven't seen Star Wars yet. No, We're hours away yet. from hours. seeing it. Yeah. I'll be leaving to see it right after we record this podcast. So yeah. we can't really weigh in with an informed opinion about porgs. All I will say is that I feel manipulated on a biological level when I look at porgs. So what? Feel, Every story is manipulative. Like- <laughs> <laughs> is is isn't that storytelling at its core? Is that it's manipulating your emotions in a way? To, Maybe it to... is. But if I'm aware of the manipulation, <laughs> can we agree that? See, I think our fundamental disagreement here is sure. that cuteness. I would maintain yeah. has been a net negative for the franchise. Yeah, I, I agree with you about the it's for kids, but the cuteness, and I'm specifically defining this as the Lucas cuteness, which includes. Listen slapstick and sure. unnecessary CGI yeah. creatures added to scenes that were perfectly fine as they were. That's my concern. I have full faith in Ryan Johnson. Yeah, Ryan Clearly, Johnson's going to do it right. He is the chosen one. He's bringing balance to the force. <laughs> right. He is making cuteness in Star Wars work. So I'm sure that next time we talk, we'll have reached some kind of consensus on Porks. But this has been a divisive issue today. I'm I wasn't sure we could record as scheduled 
But we're going to get through this because we're professionals. Listen, if Chewbacca, no imagine, you know, our opinions you, about porks are. You know, they say that that uh, you know, when a person experiences a loss, a pet can really help. And I think Chewbacca <laughs> is going through some shit right now. Definitely He's going through some heavy, he heavy, right heavy, now. heavy shit. And yeah. if he forges a bond with a porg, I don't understand how we can how we can fault him for this. How how dare we honestly s- criticize? Porgs for the, you know, the good that they're, I allegedly it's in my mind doing for Chewbacca, like doing for his heart. If the porg is a therapy animal, I'll that's what I'm make saying. Okay, all right. <laughs> Under that circumstance, I'll allow it. This is a video game podcast. It is. <laughs> We're going to talk about porgs video are, games porgs today. Porgs are CGI. I mean, it's like. It's, uh, <laughs> Yeah, we want to talk about Star Wars, but we're going to put that on hold. We're going to talk about a few video games today. And the theme that links all of these video games is that they are ever evolving. Yeah. They are not finished like products. Porks. They are good products, but they are morphing before our eyes. We're going to talk about Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. It's about time that we talked about this. It's out on Xbox One now. We've finally been playing it. So we're going to get some tips and tricks and find out how. The Xbox version is different from the PC version. What the future of PUBG is. We're going to talk about Star Citizen. Yeah. We're going to talk about GTA Online and Breath of the Wild, which both have new, hefty, sizable content. Hefty. We're going to talk to three writers who are going to come in and tell us all about these games. I have one quick thing to ask you. If I can ask you to put on your Maester's Chains sure. for just a second. I read an article earlier this week in Eurogamer. It was about Bioware and KOTOR, and it was kind of a... How Bioware ended up making Knights of the Old Republic and the ideas that they had for KOTOR 2 before they farmed it out to Obsidian. I I know of what you were going to ask. Yes, they were going to play on the cuteness of Yoda, evidently, to have a Yoda-like creature who appeared to be good and was actually bad. Sounds intriguing, but that was not the part of this article that caught my eye. Part that caught my eye was that in 2000, when Bioware was casting around for a license to make a game about, they had not yet decided to make a game about Star Wars. And this is a quote here from the developer. Strangely enough, before we picked Star Wars, I remember Ray coming into my office and throwing a couple of books on my desk and telling me to read them because we were negotiating with the authors. And one of them was the book, A Game of Thrones by George R.R. Martin. It never went anywhere, obviously. They ended up making KOTOR. We're all happy with how things turned out. But you are a student of history and Game of Thrones. What would the present look like if Bioware had adapted Game of Thrones first? If they had beaten HBO to it, if they'd given it the full Bioware treatment, so it was like a KOTOR quality game of George R. R. Martin's universe. How do you think the world is different today? Well, I'd be unemployed. (laughs) <laughs> so I, I think it's a worse it's a worse alternate timeline and let's let's let think about it as little as possible i think I, yeah i'd be unemployed right now i'd uh, i'd be playing the game for yeah. the 50th playthrough and yeah. uh, you know like living with five people in a in a in a studio apartment <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I would probably not be doing this podcast, or if I were, it would be with someone else, maybe yeah. someone who felt differently about porgs. Porgs but are fantastic. It is a fun hypothetical because you wonder, would there not have been interest in adapting it because it's right. been done so well? Would there have been earlier interest? Would we have been watching Thrones much sooner and the show would have overtaken the books even earlier? <laughs> There's There are a whole lot of different kind of sliding many, many, doors many. scenarios here. 
all of them entertaining, but I think we're happy with our present timeline. It's yes. worked out well for us. Having a job all is right. good. Yeah. And having KOTOR and Game of Thrones sure. also good. It's a win-win. All right. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back with the first of our cavalcade of writers here, Charlie Hall, who will talk to us about Player Knowns Battlegrounds and Fortnite and Star Citizen. All right, it is time for a long-awaited, belated PUBG conversation. PUBG. And we have a certified expert with us joining yes. us today. It is Charlie Hall, senior reporter at Polygon. Hello, Charlie. Hello, gentlemen. How are you this afternoon? We're doing well. And I will tell you why I ended up inviting you to this podcast. It came about because I started playing PUBG. And shortly after I parachuted in and touched <laughs> ground, I realized that I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> Zero idea. And PUBG was not that interested in telling me what to do, which is admirable. Sometimes it's a fight for survival. I understand it, but no tutorial, no here's what button to press to do this and that. And at a different time, a less busy week, I might have just experimented. But as it was, I Googled, like, what do the buttons do? How do you play <laughs> PUBG? <do> buttons do? <laughs> and I ended up on one of many, many Charlie Hall PUBG posts that you've produced recently. So thank you for walking me through the Xbox One version of PUBG. And can you take us back to the beginning? Because you've been writing about the game for quite some time. Take us back to the start of the phenomenon for anyone who has not been following how and why PUBG has kind of taken over gaming this year. Can you give us the Cliff Notes version of how we got to this point? I absolutely can. Um, PUBG is a online multiplayer survival game with 100 people fighting each other to the death. That's, the, yes. that's kind of the bare bones nice. of it, right? But it began really as an offshoot of Daisy. A guy named mm -hmm. Brendan Green um, was living in, I believe, the South America. So he was an expatriate from Ireland, living there uh, with his wife at the time. Um, I believe there's a, there was a divorce at some point. But anyway, he got really into Arma and played a lot of DayZ. <clears throat> Arma, of course, is a very high-end military shooter. How high-end a military shooter is it? A version of Arma is played in virtual reality by the 101st Airborne. I know this because I went to their base <laughs> wow. and I played it with them. <laughs> okay. So when you say that PUBG is technical, it's slightly and troubling. hard and difficult, <laughs> Arma is even more so. In some yeah. games, you can duck and lay prone. In Arma 3, you can, there's seven different heights that you can get to. You can oh, well. lean left, but you can also step left. And you can, How much worse? you can be prone and leaning <laughs> left. It's very complicated. <laughs> How much worse were you at that game than the professional military people? Um, I, I was sadly it was better. I play oh, arm wow. about. Okay. I play arm about ten hours a week with a group called Shack Tech. Oh, wow. It's a clan of people that have been playing Arma for twelve years. It's the twelfth anniversary of Shack Tech in January. Congratulations! Congratulations, to <laughs> Dyslexi. Yes. Um, but anyway, so it began as an Arma mod, and then. Brendan was contracted by the folks that made H1Z1 to put a Battle Royale mode inside their game. It was the best part of their game, in my opinion, and spun off as its own game, H1Z1 King of the Kill, 
before going back to being called H1Z1. Mm -hmm. And then Brendan partnered with this Korean publishing company called Bluehole and created PUBG. It launched in March of this year, and it took off like a rocket. Yes, and it is still technically unfinished, I suppose, for a few more days, right? We're still for a few in more days, yeah. Pre-release, yeah. And and how has it evolved over that time? It started off feeling a lot like Daisy. I don't know if you've ever played that game, but you essentially just like the experience that you had. You drop into this empty map. There's guns and helmets and body armor and ammunition laying on the ground. You pick it up, and eventually someone starts shooting at you, or you start shooting at them, and it just proceeds. Now. The gimmick is the map gets smaller over time. And so that's been in there from the beginning. There's this blue haze, this, this mm -hmm. glow cloud that gets smaller and smaller as it surrounds the battlefield, and it's called the circle, and all these heavily armed players get pressed closer together. The exact same, same thing happened in H1Z1 as happened in the mods for Arma 3 and Arma 2. But the pace and the speed and the fluidity, and in my opinion, the stability of the experience in PUBG has gotten better and better mm. and better and better since March. And it's 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 at its it's at one of its high points right now. I don't know if it's if it's going to be fully baked when it comes out. We're gonna have to see. It's due out the 20th, I believe, of December. Um, but it's it's just gotten more and more stable as time has gone on. The same cannot be said of the Xbox release, which yes, I believe is less right than now. a Extremely tough week right now. old. I'm yeah. so sorry that you had to start your experience there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very I didn't choppy have to. Right I, I brought it on myself. And yeah. yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely janky and not great looking. And it wasn't clear to me how much of that is just the game itself and how much of it is the port. So I'm getting the sense yeah. that it's largely the latter. Well, so I, I spoke with the team at Microsoft and they explained it as think of this Xbox game as the six month old version, six months older version of PUBG and PC. And that's what it is. Mm -hmm. This is kind of what it looked like on PC guys. It was worse mm -hmm. when I started playing, honestly. So if you're really down about texture pop and lag and stuff like that. Love texture like, pop. It was <laughs> Love lag when it started PC. So how do you win? How do you, how do you kill more or die yes. less when you get in there? You spawn in, you start uh, parachuting down onto this large island. You see the beautiful rolling hills, the landscape below you, some buildings here I don't and know there. About beautiful. Well, it's, you know, it's nice. You it's like a landscape. nice spring day. Anyway, yeah, sure, certainly on the Xbox version. Uh, and uh, you land on the ground, you land on your feet, and now what do you do? What do I do? Like, you want me to literally give you tips and tricks on how to win? How do you? I kind of do, yeah. yeah I, just, I, don't, I don't aspire to be good at this game, but I do aspire not to be bad at this game. Yeah, mostly, right. I, mostly the first thing I do is like lay prone in the grass and be like, is anyone around? Am I going to get yes, shot right now? Idea. That worked pretty well for me. <laughs> but let's, let's get you doing that sooner, right? Here's, mm. here's the first thing you do. You jump out of the airplane, right? The second thing you do is you look around. While you're falling, yeah. you lay, lay on that free look button and you look around. Can I stay in and the airplane? Are, uh, you may not stay in the airplane. <laughs> Uh, if you get Seems to the safer. end, if you get to the edge of the of the island, they will kick you out of the airplane, and usually with like a, a clump of other players, and that's a no no. You want to go, the the plane is going in one direction, and you want to body surf in a direction perpendicular to the mm. path of the airplane. You want to get as far away from the line of other people that are dropping into the game world. This is a great tip, and you want to yes. look all around you 
to when you do that. Now, you also want to pull back on the left stick and push right on the right stick. This is going to put you in like a classic free fall position with your arms out, and you're going to go as slow as you can. It's about 126 kilometers per hour. That's wow. about as slow as you can go falling through the air. Once you're, once you're in that position, you will sail further away from the line of the airplane, okay? So then that puts you along a perpendicular line of all the other players. The next thing you do is you land, you start scavenging for equipment. Now you need to find out where the circle is. So now it becomes yes. a geometry problem, okay? You have a line where all the other players are, and you have a circle. And you need to get to that circle as safely as possible. All the other players are also heading in the same direction. So how do I move safely and securely while keeping myself in cover or completely invisible to everybody else around me mm. while moving from the line to the circle? And that's, that's how you win. The best way to go about PUBG is not to engage anyone until there's about 20 or 30 people left on the map. Wow. Because when you make noise, you attract attention. And when you attract attention in a game like this, gun sights get pointed at you and people start <laughs> shooting and it's it's bad. Now, this is, <laughs> That's when it gets bad. Now, this this is could a, be the game for me. Yeah, I, I, I did that instinctively, just avoid <laughs> anyone <laughs> because I felt yeah. like that was the only way I would live. So if that's actually the way you're supposed to play, I am ahead of the game. Well, this is interesting that's the because, way I play, though. That's not maybe the way that other people would play. I'm yeah, not this is interesting a Twitch gamer. There's a lot mm -hmm. of, there, I, you know, philosophically, I, I would imagine that there are people who would who would find this cowardly, this sort of uh, nouveau camping way of doing things. Um, do you ever get or people are like, well, you're just going to hide until like 80 people die? They they really don't have much time to speak once I've shot them in the back of the head. Nice. I like it. So <laughs> if I'm if I'm in a gunfight with someone, I'm personally at a disadvantage because I'm not twitchy. I'm not clever in that way. Right. I'm clever in the way I maneuver through the game world. So I, I don't run along the top of a ridgeline. I run halfway up the mountain because the people on the other side of the mountain can't see me and the people on my side of the mountain can't see me through the trees. So I'm hidden. That's mm. how I move through the game. When I'm driving, I know where I'm going before I get in the car. I don't sit there parked and wait to get my head blown off. I'm always, when I'm out of cover, I'm moving and I'm trying to keep my head down. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. you I'm glad you, you mentioned the vehicles because there are vehicles that's, that spawn randomly across the map. Um, I, I've you know, in my very laggy and low frame rate game that I attempted to play last night, uh, I tried to get in a car and I was killed. I'm not sure how soon afterwards. Yeah, you. So you mentioned uh, have a destination in mind when you when you get in a vehicle. Um, what else? Like, should we? Are cars even the way to go? It seems like if you're trying not to attract attention, getting in the car is like the way to immediately attract attention. Well, I mean, remember I said there's this glow cloud all around you, right? The yeah. circle's getting smaller. Sometimes you got no option than to get in a car. <clears throat> I would say maybe a third to a half of the time you're going to need to get in a car just, just to move fast enough to stay alive, right? But cars become honeypots. If somebody sees a car, they might just observe it, wait for somebody to show up and kill them. You'll mm. see two or three bodies around the car. Don't go to that car. <clears throat> but you, you want to be aware of where you're going before you get in the car. So if you see a car, Crouch, get in cover, observe your surroundings, look for people hidden behind trees, like look really hard, but then look at your map, find where you want to go, throw a smoke grenade out at the car, cover the car in smoke, then get in the car and don't look back, hit the gas and go. 
And don't take mm-hmm. a road. Drive over a hill. Drive through the trees. Drive carefully, but, but don't drive predictably. And how important is memorization and knowing the map? I just I happened to stumble across a weapons and ammo cache. I don't know if it's always there or if the stuff spawns randomly. Do I need to know where everything is or is it kind of you, you figure it out as you go? It does spawn randomly. If you're interested in, we'll call it intelligence, you can go. There's a there's a map online. It's an intelligent map. It'll tell you where all the stuff is. But yeah, it's, it's random spawning. You're going to find military weapons in uh, the military base, which is at the south of the map. You're going to find, I, I traditionally find more powerful weapons higher up in buildings. Mm. And certain kinds of buildings will have higher quality loot than others. G- you know, generally, better Buildings in better repair have better gear to some extent, but again, it's a crapshoot. It's all it's all RNG, right? But the loot's everywhere. Like as long as you have a long gun, like an an an, uh, an M sixteen style rifle or an AK style rifle, and as long as you have a sidearm, you're good to go. If you're just rolling around with a shotgun, that's not ideal uh, because they they have a very limited range. But if you have a long gun and a pistol, then yeah, get moving. Mm-hmm. Now, say Jason and I were to team up and play as a duo. And given our opposing opinions on Porgs, I'm not sure whether we would be more likely to play together or to want to shoot each other (laughs) these days. But let's say that we were to play together. What's the best strategy for teamwork? Should we be walking around back to back everywhere we go calling out enemies? Is there a better strategy than that? Should you split up and communicate in some way? What I communicate to people that ask me this question is what was communicated to me when I was in boot camp for Shaktac, and that is standard infantry movement procedures, right? You have a formation. There's two of you that you can also do, I believe, squads of up to four. I hate this because that means I have to talk to other people. My quiet time is playing PUBG. I like to wander around (laughs) in the woods and kill. It's what I like to do. Leave me alone. But when I have to play with other people... um, I I also also appear in the, the awful squad at Polygon every once in a while, and I like to be a soldier, not a leader in that situation. But when I'm a leader with Shaktac, everybody has their own roles. And the default role is you travel in a line. So you, you would want to be one to the left, one to the right. The person on the left should be scanning to the left. And the person on the right should be scanning to the right. You are f- responsible for your side of that formation. And that means getting your eyes, moving your eyes, and looking for the enemy. When you see the enemy, you need to make a determination. Does the enemy, does the enemy see me? And you communicate that to your other squad mates. If the enemy sees you, you communicate the direction of the enemy. There's a compass right in front of you. You communicate the range of the enemy. And you communicate the disposition of the enemy. And you start moving to cover. Those are the first three things that you do. And if you can do those three things, your other, your other teammates will take your lead and they will be safer for it. Sir, yes, sir. Right. Can wow. we surmount our differences, Jason? I think, think so. think we can do it? I think right. for the good of the squad, we yeah. can do it. Now, if they don't see you, then you get to have some fun. Like, right, there's this guy over here. Let's get in cover. Let's plan our approach. You go left, I'll go right. And that's where it's fun. When it's not fun is when they start shooting back at you and you just got to scamper to cover, right? Yeah. So I've been fearing missing out all year as people have been playing this on PC. And because of our console proclivities, we've been waiting for the port. So... Even though it's a a little rudimentary now or it's not quite in the same advanced state that the PC version is in, based on your playing of the Xbox One version so far, are we missing 
anything long term? Will we be missing out on any of the prime PUBG experience or is there the same kind of formula, the same appeal translates to consoles and to controllers, which is always a a tough thing for a a PC game to map itself to a controller and not come out feeling awkward in any way. Oh, yeah. There's no way that the folks at Bohemia Interactive would ever conscience bringing Arma to a console. There's too many buttons. There's too many positions that the avatar body can move into. And there's too many vehicles, too. They've got, like, VTOL helicopters and combat craft. It's it's not fun on a controller. PUBG is somewhat more simplified than Arma, right? I was astounded at the fidelity of the experience that I was able to get from the controller on the Xbox One. I played it. They gave me, they sent me a code, and I was able to get onto some inter- international servers before launch. And I, I played it in the lead up to the launch. Don't tell Microsoft, but <laughs> it was it was the PC game. I was doing the same things. I was able to move my neck and look around, which I can't do in every shooter on a a console, which drives me nuts. I could aim in one direction and look in another. Um, I was able to get in a car. I was was able to drive more easily on the console. I like the driving experience much better. Um, And once I figured out the wacky aim down sights, you actually have to tap the left trigger in order to aim down sights. If you hold it down, literally nothing happens. Once I figured that out, again, because there's no instructions, then I was playing the PC game. It's just a six months older, buggier version of the PC game. I've talked to the team at Microsoft. I've talked to Brendan. It is the intention to bring these two development paths together. It's going to converge. The the intention is to make them the same game. Hmm. And what do you foresee the future looking like for PUBG? Do you think that it will be as much of a phenomenon in the console market as it was on PC? Is there more competition in this space on consoles? Do you think that the enthusiasm that people have for it will be sustained through 2018? I know there's a new map on the way. There's the official release on the way. Will we be talking about 2018 as as much the year of PUBG as 2017 has been? I really think we will. I really think we will for... Well, you asked a lot in that question. So I'll begin at the beginning of your question. Is there competition? Absolutely. In fact, Epic's uh, Fortnite Battle Royale, which is a game mode within the Fortnite client, also available as a free-to-play game or when you buy the main Fortnite game. It's a Battle Royale experience, but with a very different set of options. You can actually build barricades, build fortifications. um, And I've I've been very pleased to see it become its own thing. But they were in yeah. consoles and, and first. And there was some, some controversy about that, right? About whether Fortnite had copied PUBG. And of course, as you laid out, PUBG came from other games that were similar in similar modes. So there's always a lot of borrowing going on in both directions in popular games. Well, and if you look at, I guess the old marketing saying is, or the manufacturing saying is, that there's always room for three succeeding products within the market. Right. Mm. And so, you know, the folks at Epic just got there first. They actually beat PUBG to consoles with a similar, not the same, model. But it's it's the same genre, and it shares the same name, Battle Royale, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it's its own different thing. I do not prefer it myself. I, it's, it's very cartoony. The shooting doesn't feel as good, um, and the experience is far buggier, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Um, but I, I, I haven't played it as much as PUBG, I will say that. Mm-hmm. Could you, just for a second, talk about, touch on the, uh, the really rich world of Arma mods. There's some really great ones and ones that are truly like troubling in their dystopian nature. Like Dust was one that I watched 
for a long time on Twitch, just fascinated. Um, just run us through it, if you if you would like some of the really interesting ones. Oh gosh, you know that's kind of a blind spot for me. I'll be completely honest. I know you know you can't think of Arma though as a game. Right, Arma is a platform. Right, like I said, there's one like Half Life. Yeah, there's one branch of the Arma engine that is being used by the military. There's another branch of the Arma engine that's being used to make, oh, I don't know. I'm sure there's there's kart racing in Arma because they, as a goof, put carts into the game in one update. But it fully supports it. It's got a driving model in it. There's people that play Arma for flight simulator, for helicopter simulator. You can hook up pedals and stick and throttle, all of that. So are there mods from Arma? Like, how much time do you have? Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of cut you off in your answer about the future of PUBG in my Fortnite oh. question. But do you, do you think that, I mean, is the, the core formula here, the, the core gameplay just great enough to keep people hooked indefinitely? Will we see anything more than cosmetic upgrades and stability upgrades? Or do you see something really transformative on the horizon? Or does it not even need that? I absolutely think that we're going to be talking about PUBG at the end of 2018. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons for that. They are, they're not done, right? Even when they're done this month, they're not done. They're not done yet. They're still building this thing. They're not, they're not fooling anybody, in my opinion. The, the thing's not finished. Mm-hmm. And it's probably going to be finished on the 20th. They're still building it. The things that they're going to be improving are the vaulting and the climbing, right? Like you can literally jump out the window, tuck and roll and run off. Like that's not something you can do in every game, let alone a multiplayer game. <clears throat> Again, they're still building and refining that. They're all, they also have this new map, Miramar. It's a completely different experience. Much taller buildings, much tighter urban environments, much longer sight lines as well. It is different in every way, in many ways, at the same time than Arendelle, which is the, I always mispronounce it, the current map. But then there's a third map coming out that's actually set, I believe, in the Mediterranean. That hasn't really been shown yet. Um And we don't know what that's going to be like or what the design goals of that are going to be like. So that's going to happen all throughout 2018. New weapons, new vehicles, cosmetic stuff, as you call it. But also there's a really healthy um, competitive scene for this game, in my opinion. If you go back Mm -hmm. again to when uh, the Battle Royale mods were on Arma 2 and Arma 3... When I first started talking with Brendan, it's when he was going to take the Survivor Games, which is a very old, uh, loosely organized competition that was hosted on Twitch in DayZ. They were going to take the Survivor Games model and move it over to the Battle Royale mod. I don't believe that ever happened. Shortly afterwards, he started working with H1Z1. And then H1Z1 had their own competitive thing. There's an H1Z1 Pro League now. Like huh. that is that is a big money thing people are investing in. And I expect that the the competitive scene, the esports scene for PUBG is going to take off, uh, especially mm. once this thing really starts to take hold in China. Um, they have yet to begin to explore all of the customers that they could possibly reach in China. It's going to go bonkers. Yeah, this seems to me just based on my brief time with it, it's one of those games that produces stories, like very memorable rounds. I don't know whether they're interesting stories to other people or whether it's more of a like talking about your fantasy team sort of situation when you're talking about your memorable PUBG round. But 
I can already tell that yeah. you're just going to have these kind of indelible moments that stick out to you where, you know, something unexpected happens and heroic happens or cowardly happens, but it works out in your favor. Yeah, and unlike, I'm really looking forward to that. Unlike League or Overwatch or StarCraft, it's it's innately graspable to a viewer, yeah. even if they don't, they don't play games. It's a person wandering around a map with a gun. And it's yeah. it's plastic also. It's 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 flexible yeah. based on the player's skill level. You can play really badly and really stupidly at PUBG and still have fun. And that's okay. Well, that sounds, okay. That's good. That's a great that's a great selling point. <laughs> that's what we're planning to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, while we have you, I got a tweet the other day asking us to touch on Star Citizen. We have not talked about Star Citizen on this podcast for the fairly good reason that it doesn't actually exist, but it's now reached the point where I think you kind of have to talk about it regardless. And you've been covering this game slash non-game since its inception. So can you bring us up to speed? This is, of course, one of the most highly crowdfunded ventures of all time that has not produced any tangible results and now just seems to be descending into bitterness and acrimony and legal wrangling and lawsuits. So can you tell us where Star Citizen stands, if that's doable in five minutes? Let's not go crazy here. It's it's not that they've not produced nothing. It's not that it's descending into chaos. Let's let's back the train up, okay? Okay. Just let's start at the beginning. So Star Citizen began development, as the story goes, by Chris Roberts, the guy that created the Wing Commander franchise and later made the Wing Commander movie and and had spent some time in Hollywood. It was was created and conceived by him in 2011. It was shopped around to various studios. Nobody would sign on to it. At some point, he got the bright idea to do a Kickstarter. And at the time, it became one of the most highly funded Kickstarters of all time. Uh, Over $2 million, I'm sorry, $2.134 million, almost 35,000 people backed that project. But he didn't stop there, right? He took it off Kickstarter and he set up his own crowdfunding model. And since that initial campaign in 2012, he's earned over $174 million in total. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And he has subsequently achieved the highest amount of money ever raised for any crowdfunding endeavor of any kind, period. End of story. He's got the most money. Um, What is Star Citizen? Star Citizen began as multiple, it, it began as multiple experiences. Around the same time as the Kickstarter, there were plans for a single player experience and there were plans for a kind of MMO. And since then, they have diverged greatly. They've diverged to such a point that they now sell them separately. And I've taken to, in an editorial sense, referring it to them as the Star Citizen Projects. Uh-huh. The single-player game is called Squadron 42, and the multiplayer game is called the Persistent Universe, in air quotes. It doesn't really have a name. And together, in my opinion, I refer to them as the Star Citizen Projects. And this is important because we're going to get to this in the lawsuit later on. So... <laughs> Where we're at right now in the news cycle, though, is the fact that the 3.0 update to the early alpha of the Persistent Universe. Are you following me? The update to the early alpha to the game that's not finished. (laughs) Okay. I think I'm following. Yeah. Yeah. Games that aren't finished is a theme today. (laughs) 
that's not out yet. People expected to be playing it maybe in October, then November, then December. And it's gone to wider groups of star citizens, as they're called, people who have backed the project to help in testing it. And it's still not, quote unquote, out yet. But even when it is out, it will still be in early alpha. Okay? So that's not here. People can play around in an arena module. They can fly their spaceships at each other. They can fly their spaceships at AI. They can go into the persistent universe and fly their spaceships at each other and against the AI. They can get out of their spaceships and shoot little laser guns at each other. All of that functions to some extent right now. The 3.0 module will add, among other things, full planet-sized, procedurally generated planets. Okay. Ambitious. Okay. Uh, if we've this is a we've heard this before somewhere, haven't we? Ben? <laughs> That's true. Yes, yeah. sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, all right. So 3.0 isn't here yet. 3.0 has been delayed to some extent. People are antsy. People are cranky. So I I, I researched and wrote up a story where one individual um, had invested twenty five thousand dollars in excess of twenty five thousand dollars in virtual ships for the game that he can't play. Okay. He, he got angry, he got cold feet, and he wanted his money back. And he's been fighting that battle for 86 days now and hasn't got all his money back. While I was publishing that story, news breaks that Crytek is suing Star Citizen companies for a breach of contract because Star Citizen was originally built on the Cry engine, which is Crytek's proprietary engine that they sell and license and have for free, whatever. They signed a deal, they broke the deal by A, making two games instead of one. So they're making the persistent online game and they're making the single player game, breach of contract. They also removed the CryEngine logo from the splash screen, breach of contract. They claim that they moved from CryEngine to Amazon's Lumberyard, which is a fork of the CryEngine, sort of. I got to work on that some more. Breach of contract, because if you look at their YouTube videos, says the lawsuit, you can see that they're still using CryEngine. It's in the command line. It's in the URL. It says CryEngine, our game, this part, right there. And so this lawsuit says that for those various reasons, they're in breach of contract. And uh, uh, Cloud Imperium Games and uh, Star, Star Citizen is being built by two companies. One of them is they're effectively the same company, but they're not really the same company. It's it's complicated. One of them's Cloud Imperium Games, the other is Roberts Space Space Industries, and both are being sued by Crytek in a California mm. court. <laughs> I, I knew when I asked you to summarize the Star Citizen situation in five minutes, it was going to be a tall order. <laughs> Did I do it? Did I come yeah. in under? <laughs> I, I think you you came in right around. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I think the, the bottom line to this story is: do not create procedurally generated space games. <laughs> something <laughs> don't start a land something, war always, Asia, right? something always goes wrong. Yeah. yeah. So so are we going to see Star Citizen in some form or the various Star Citizen projects in some form on any kind of realistic timeline? Ben, you can play it right now for the low, low price of 45 American dollars. <laughs> and, and you know what? If you want to pay that price, there's a game there. You can play their arena module. You can get in the ship. And you can have a good time. I've done it, and I've enjoyed myself. And if that's worth $45 to you, via con Dios, have fun. Mm. Use, your, use your stick and throttle. 
I was able to use my track IR to some extent before they disabled it. I think it's coming back in 3.0. I hope it is. Um, they were at one point talking about VR. That's not in there. But right now, today, you can go and have a very satisfying space flight simulator experience. Um, it's, hmm. it's this other stuff and these other promises that you should be aware of. And, you know, I don't, I don't know that I want to go out and spend $250 on a spaceship, whether I can yeah. fly it or not in an yeah. unfinished game. I don't personally want to do that. Other people do. I think I'd rather sue. I'm yeah, feeling litigious too. today. I didn't actually yeah. contribute to the crowdfunding effort, but I'm I'm getting in on the the legal action. Yeah, anyway. by the time by the time they sort it out, you know, maybe <laughs> yeah. the game Class maybe action. the game will be out. Yeah. The the vision that this team has for this game is incredible. It really is incredible. It's a first person shooter. It's a persistent online experience. It's a cinematic single player narrative featuring. The likenesses, uh, sorry, the acting talents of Mark Hamill, Gillian Anderson, Gary Oldman, mm -hmm. who've already had their stuff mocapped. This is a lot, though. And uh, next I don't know. time, don't shell out for the A list uh, mocap talent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Market inefficiency actors, you, you might not necessarily know their names, but yeah. they can act too. All right, Charlie Hall, thank you very much for schooling us in Star Citizen and PUBG. If you see us on the battlefield, please just let us cower in the grass until we get our bearings. I, I need some time, I think, to adjust to PUBG, but I feel more prepared now than I did at the beginning of this conversation. So you can find Charlie writing very frequently about both of the games we just talked about, as well as others on Polygon. You can find him on Twitter at Charlie underscore L underscore hall and also at charliehallwriter.com where you can find all his writing and his podcasts charlie thanks again thank you thank you guys i really enjoyed myself today all right we'll be back after another very quick break to talk to zach zweisen about gta online All right, so for the second of our three games today, we are now joined by Zach Zweisen. He covers games for Kotaku and Killscreen and Game Critics and other sites, and specifically these <laughs> days, GTA Online, yeah. which has been keeping yes. him busy this year and presumably for the last four years, I would imagine. And yes, <laughs> it never ends. Writing about or playing. <laughs> yeah. So. There's never an end to GTA online content <laughs> and, and sales. No. Jason and I talked about this earlier this year that yeah. it's still selling incredibly well. And one reason why yeah. is because they keep pumping out content. So the most for free too. Yeah, right. Well, sort of, right? I guess. Well, yeah, that's a good point. That's <laughs> yeah. a good point. Yeah. So so tell us about the newest update, which as I understand it, is the biggest update ever, the the doomsday heists. What what is included? Uh it's definitely one of the biggest updates, uh, basically. So, a few years back, um, one of the largest updates they did was the heists update, right. which was this really long, uh, anticipated update that people kept complaining that wasn't in the game. They kept wanting it, and finally, Rockstar added it. And it was basically, I think, five—I might be wrong here—four or five heists where players would have to team up with, like, kind of like raids in a Destiny or an MMO, team up with other players, do a bunch of different steps, and hopefully, you would win you know, millions of dollars at the end. That was the, that's why people really liked it. Cause you've made a lot of money. Um, Doomsday is basically 
taking the heists from that update and adding a story that involves an Elon Musk uh, character. Uh He's not actually Elon Musk, but he basically is. A weird, (laughs) smart computer AI, uh, invisible robots, uh, like the FBI and the CIA are all involved. And it's like Amazon meets Google is trying to take over the world. It's a very crazy doomsday scenario. Yeah. And... Yeah, that's the and it adds a ton of new vehicles. It adds it's a huge update. It's all um, it's a lot of stuff like a lot of fan fulfillment. A lot of like oh, this is what stuff fans have been wanting. Like the jetpacks in the game, right? Now, yes, yeah. Jason which and is I a big deal. interviewed people from Team Guru, a nice couple who met each other. Yes, I've talked <laughs> yeah. to them. Yeah, so they were on our podcast. They met each other while data mining in GTA and got wow. married. And <laughs> evidently, they are still happily married. I mean, hasn't been that long, but, <laughs> but still, congratulations to them. And yeah, that's that's awesome. They emailed me to say that they're happy they finally got the jetpack. Although I guess it wasn't really the jetpack that they were looking for right. all along. <laughs> yeah. I've I talked to a bunch of different people, uh Team Guru uh and some others and they were like, yeah, the jetpack's in it. Yeah, but you have to buy it or it's like <laughs> it's not it's not a mystery you unlock. Well, yeah. what, what are um, some of those mysteries? Like does what how does how does the Doomsday Heist engage with with some of the kind of like eternal so mysteries it, of the game? It's interesting because I actually do think that Rockstar, they're very they watch what fans are doing. They even will sometimes put messages in the code that fans will find uh, a good example of this was a few months back or maybe it was, it was like over a year ago now, but there was a Bigfoot Easter egg that you could become Bigfoot and fans were trying to figure it out and they couldn't quite get one of the puzzle pieces to fit. Like they just weren't figuring it out and Rockstar updated the code and left a little hint in the code for those people so they could figure it out. So this update with Doomsday, uh, a lot of it has to do with like a mysterious corporation or companies or people, you know, shadowy organization inside of Mount Chiliad, which has been a huge hotbed of conspiracy theories. So Rockstar's basically just playing into that. They're just saying, oh, yeah, the jetpack that you thought was in Chiliad, well, it's in there. It's actually in there. (laughs) And you got to go steal it because, of course, it's GTA. Yeah. And, I mean, (laughs) over the past four years, it seems like GTA Online has just grown to encompass everything like every game genre it seems like is now within gta online like if you had to buy one game for the rest of your life at this point or just you can only play one game in 2018 it seems like maybe the most efficient thing to do would be to get gta online because it is every game (laughs) i and i think that's why gta online or gta 5 which is where you get gta online i think that's why it's continued to be a top seller every month since release is because you know, there are some people, and I've been in that boat where you don't have a lot of money. You can only buy one or two games a year. GTA Online is an ever-evolved... It's basically, it's like 20 games, and it's always growing, and you never have to buy any of that. Yes, there's some maybe uh, shady stuff when it comes to the shark cards and grinding for cash, but ultimately, like, the heists are basically free. The races are all free. All that stuff's added to and updated all the time. So, yeah, like you said, you buy one game... GTA Online, it's kind of like 30 games and you can play it for years. Yeah, and that's not so, even counting mods if you have a yeah. PC version no, and, yeah. and then you can... Yeah, and that's and also it gets forgotten, but like GTA 5 is a really big single player game by itself. <laughs> yeah. So on top of it, you know, so yeah. Uh, there's also a new radio station, Blonde at Los Santos. Uh, yes, yeah. yes, Tell yes. I'm very bit. excited about that. Frank Ocean. Well, so yeah, Frank Ocean, which I'll be very clear, I'm not, I'm not up to uh, speed on all the hip music so i've not heard a lot of frank ocean but uh i'm very excited just because sometimes after you play a game for four years the music can get a little stale 
And once you've played GTA Online for as long as I have, I've heard every song in that game <laughs> at least a thousand times. So it's really nice to have a new station. I was playing a friend's uh, yesterday. We were all like, man, I've never heard this song. This is cool. We can, we like, what is this? Uh, and there's some cool stuff on there. There's a mix. Of course, there's some Frank Ocean. There's some Marvin Gaye on there. Uh, there's a nice uh, mix of music on there. I was really surprised. Right. Yeah. I always like when you hear a GTA game, a, a, a song that you know from a GTA soundtrack, but you hear it in the wild and it brings you back yeah. to your GTA experience. I had, <laughs> I had that happen to me very recently. I was with my girlfriend and her mother and they, we were doing some shopping for Christmas and all that. And all of a sudden some GTA music was coming on and it was like this like really the disconnect because like last time I heard this song, I was robbing a bank. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I know that you wrote recently about the question of why there hasn't been single player DLC. And I, yes, I guess yes. the obvious answer is... Why? Why would you need single player DLC, right? There's just yeah. so much multiplayer DLC. Yeah, and I, I get it because I'll be honest, I am still slightly disappointed that I think multiplayer is great and the content they've been adding is great. But, you know, GTA has for a very long time been a single player experience. And I do miss maybe a more like narrative driven linear experience. But I get why they didn't do it. GTA Online is making so much money. Yeah. You know, what's and it's just how many people are going to, you know, you can spend a million dollars, you know, millions of dollars developing some DLC for single player that gets played once by some people, or you can build this DLC that's going to be played by millions of people and potentially they're going to be, you know, spending money to buy shark cards to play it. And so I get the business side of it. It, it is a little disappointing, but some of that single player content has actually ended up in multiplayer. Mm. Uh, people who do data mining like Clifford is the name of the new AI in this new doomsday update. And that's stuff that was like, dug up years ago as potential single player content. Uh So it's been kind of finding its way into multiplayer eventually. So. So is there an end game from Rockstar from take two's perspective? Uh, Obviously, you know, I imagine that they're developing a full fledged single player sequel, but GTA. Yeah, I would assume. Right. Probably. (laughs) But on the other hand, this is so profitable and doesn't seem to be falling off in popularity at all. On the other other hand, you've got Redhead, you've got Red Dead 2 coming soon. Mm -hmm. And maybe. To be fair, uh, they have, I don't know if you've seen, but there is a Red Dead Redemption 2 Easter egg mystery hunt. Yes, I saw your story about that. Yeah. Yeah. So they seem to be trying to connect the two, which is really an interesting strategy. Like if we can't get them off of GTA online, at least we can advertise red dead to them. Right. You know, we can kind of bring it in, but yeah, I don't know what their end game strategy. I mean, you'd think a heist or an update called the doomsday heist <laughs> might be the end <laughs> of it, but that. they've yeah. been very, yeah, but they've been very clear. This is not the end. Um, and it's interesting too, cause I've talked to people and read stuff and that Rockstar said, and like, this was not the plan necessarily. They weren't expecting to still be making DLC in some ways for this game. Yeah. Uh, but people won't stop playing it. It's a really, that's a bad problem to have, I guess. <laughs> what <are> you... <laughs> right. You've written a bunch of really interesting stories about the community of GTA Online and clans. Mm. And you wrote something about how people who have houses in the suburbs in GTA are upset because people from like the inner city are coming and jerks like me messing up their property values by killing each other and their nice, well manicured lawns, all that. So yeah, give us the the, like most interesting story or two that you've come across from the world Uh, of GTA online. Well, I would say yes, that whole like people leaving the urban center of Los Santos, which is in the South and heading up North to the more rural uh, area of Polito Bay 
is really interesting and also kind of a sign of how GTA Online, the economy works, because all of the cheaper properties are up north, like the bunker, the cheapest bunker in the game, which is a way you can do new missions and stuff. It's up north. All of these cheaper properties for cheapskates like me, who don't want to spend a lot of money, they're up north. So all these people who got away from all the crime in the south are now being invaded by all these people with rocket launchers and jets and tanks that are doing drug missions and selling guns. And and so, yeah, that that's a really interesting community because they have this weird like subculture of like they have a sheriff and they have a mayor and they have right. meetings and they it's this. Yeah. And another uh, interesting uh, subculture is uh, I did recently the furries in GTA Online. Uh, yeah. There's a whole entire group of furries that play GTA Online, um, and they have group meetings and they role play. Uh, also, I don't know if you've kept up with, but there's a ton of people on Twitch now who role play in GTA Online as police officers right. and firefighters. Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you might have seen the Sheriff Eli. Yes. Uh, that yeah. So that stuff is really fascinating to me because these are people taking a game that when you think about GTA Online, the first thing that comes to mind isn't uh, police officers doing their job, you know, but they're taking that criminal game, this game focused on crime and violence, and they're making it into a, one of the most realistic police video games I've ever seen. Like, there's nothing on the market like it. They have, you know, they have all kinds of radio codes and mods that allow them to arrest people and search cars and give warrants and tickets. And like, it's kind of incredible. And all that's from the community. Like, none of this is officially supported by Rockstar. Yeah, that's so. amazing. Right. So uh, I read a, an opinion piece recently. I think it was by Ben Kuchera at Polygon. And he was talking about how if GTA Online were eligible for Game of the Year awards, usually we have sort of a, a strict definition of Game of the Year award. It has to be like officially yeah. released in 2018, that sort of thing, in 2017 in this case. But GTA Online kind of falls into this strange space where it's not a new game exactly, but it is also very new and it is reinventing itself yeah. constantly. If it were eligible, if we just loosened the definition in some way that could include GTA Online, do you think that the year that it has had stacks up very well with the games that will actually be at the top of most Game of the Year lists? Um, yeah, I'd, uh, yeah, I'd say it's probably one of its best years. They've had a really good amount of content this year. Um, they've had like the Doomsday Heist, which is not single player, but it is a story driven campaign. Mm -hmm. Uh, they've done some really cool stuff with adding some new modes. One of my, uh, one of our favorite modes, my friends and I, uh, our favorite mode is, um, basically it's car darts. Two teams <laughs> go flying off of parachutes and you try to land. And then it becomes car darts and then it turns into curling because then you're trying to bump each other off of the high value points. It's, it's really fun. Um, so, yeah, I think this has been a great year. I don't know if I'd say it's my game of the year, mm -hmm. but it would be up there. I I know the, the Game Awards are not maybe the most beloved of... Uh, things but i do like that idea of like okay a category for ongoing games because that's we're gonna need that at this point right stuff like minecraft gt online it, they don't ever end <laughs> they never end <laughs> so we need to maybe address that there are millions of playable people playing gt online yeah and for them it's their favorite game and then you know i don't know but i don't know if i'd give them my game either but it was a really good year for gt online yeah so I have one more question for you. In addition to your writing about GTA Online, you have a standalone site 
that is dedicated to reloading animations in video games. <laughs> I didn't know this was gonna. I didn't know this was gonna be brought up. <laughs> well, uh, well, you are the authority on this. On this. <laughs> okay. I, I assume. All right. Uh, so you have just a series of gifs of just many, many games, many, many guns reloading, mm-hmm. and it's just this is yes. what the gun looks like when it reloads. Why? Yes. Why? What prompted your interest in this? So years and years ago, even before I started this, I was a huge fan of the original Counter-Strike mm-hmm. uh, on PC. And I don't know, but I just I always loved the way that the AK reloaded in that mm. game, the AK-47. It just had a really good flip to it. It just looked cool. I don't know. It was a very strange thing. I didn't even like using the AK compared to some of the other games. I just or guns in the game, but I liked that reload. And in fact, that was the first reload I ever posted on that site was the AK-47 reload. I think it's a very small thing, but especially first-person shooters, the look and feel of a gun is very important. There are certain guns you might not pick up just because it's a little blocky or doesn't look good Mm -hmm. or it doesn't feel good. And weapon reloading is really important in that aspect because, you know, if if a reload looks really bad, you see that a lot. And it starts to kind of... It's something you notice. And I also think a lot of those little details in games, they don't get noticed by people. You know, people work a long time on these reloads. Uh, So this is my way of putting a spotlight on a really small piece of video game detail. Yeah. Any recent... A weird part. Favorites or least favorites? (laughs) Uh, Recent favorites. uh, I think whenever Battlefield Hardline came out that like was that two years ago Mm -hmm. uh, they they had a force reload I don't know if you saw that but like it was a Star Wars style like he brought the clip out of the magazine of the force and reloaded it (laughs) so that was pretty good Uh, worst reloads uh, there's never a bad reload (laughs) all reloads are okay Wolf honestly I love Wolfenstein the new order that game is incredible and the new one's great too the reloads in that can be a little disappointing I guess that game is more to the point it's yeah. kind of like they're just too kind of like Doom, the the remake of Doom recently. Yeah. There's no reloads at all. No reloads. Yeah. I did Sad. have one Doom reload on the site though. The because <laughs> te- technically the uh, double barrel shotgun. Yes. Yes. Mm, sure. You, yeah. So I have that on there. Man, they're trying to put you out of business. I hope that trend doesn't catch on. Don't get rid of <laughs> don't get rid of reloads. Come on, 2018 more reloads. <laughs> all right, you can peruse all the reloads at imreloading.net. You can also find Zach on Twitter at ZweizenZ or just on WordPress on ZachZweizen.wordpress.com. That's Zach with a K and Zweizen with a Z-W-I-E-Z-E-N. And if you want to read about real estate or furries or car darts or mm. car curling, he is your guy. Mm. He is covering That's GTA right. Online at Kotaku and other places. And we are honored to have had this be your inaugural podcast experience. I don't think anyone would have guessed. Yeah. You should start a podcast. Everyone else has. All right, I'm going to start a podcast about reloading. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably there's probably already a podcast about reloading. I'm going to guess that's it's, true. It's a podcast yeah. about everything, but you'll be the best podcast about reloading. Well, all right, yeah, thank you, thank you, Zach. <laughs> no problem. All right, one more great game to go. We will be back in just a second with Jordan Miner from Geek.com, who will tell us about the new additions to The Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. All right, so Jason, we are a week away from our Game of the Year showdown with dun, Justin dun, Charity dun. when 
I expect to have a very contentious discussion about oh, Breath of the Wild. He's gunning for Breath of the Wild. He does not want it to be our game of the year. He's going to come in with his best arguments. And I figured we best. should have Air our quotes. most up-to-the-date arguments too because Breath of the Wild, like the other games we've talked about today, is constantly evolving, is yes. getting new content all the time, has now received multiple DLCs and some pretty extensive ones. So we want to bring on someone who has spent a lot of time with those and just wrote about the new one, Champion's Ballad. He is Jordan Miner, Senior Editor at Geek.com. Hey, Jordan. Hello. Thanks for having me. No problem. Our pleasure. So this is not something historically that Nintendo has done, DLC, or at least not done well online Everything has not really been the company's strength in the past, but of course they have broken with tradition in a lot of great ways with their best games of this year, and Breath of the Wild is no exception. So I know you've spent time with both of these DLCs for people who have not. Can you lay out basically what you're getting with each of these releases and roughly how much playtime they add to the already extensive experience? First off, you have to buy them both together. You can't choose one or the other. So it's twenty dollars mm-hmm. for the whole expansion pass. Um, and yeah, back in June they released a thing called the Master Trials, which is kind of a lot of like really tough sort of uh, like challenge areas, kind of like one after the other, where they strip you of all your gear. You just have to kind of use what was around you. It was sort of based on like the Eventide Island section of the main game that people seem to dig. So it was more about just like, all right, how well do you know? How well do you know these mechanics? And how well, yeah, how how much can you survive with them? Um, and then you know, there's a bunch of kind of um, you know new kind of gear to find, a new kind of like fan service masks and whatnot. Um, and this has some of that too. It has some more like uh, you know more uh, clothing options to find. But the big thing here is the Champion's Quest, which is kind of um, a more like substantial kind of like quest line where you're um, you know you're trying to you're trying to learn more about these these, uh, these characters from a hundred years ago. And you're kind of there are new shrines in the game and new puzzles. Like there's more like actual new content as opposed to uh, remixing of old ones. Um, so it's more substantial and yeah, you get like, you get like six hours out of this, I'd say. I think the number one issue on everyone's mind is how do you get the motorcycle? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Let's, let's, Uh, let's cut to the chase. How do you get the motorcycle? You have to beat the whole thing. um, uh, (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it actually, it starts off with, I think is the hardest and maybe the worst part of this whole thing is this whole stealth section where you have this kind of tuning fork weapon that kills enemies in one hit. But um, will cause you to get killed in one hit, and it's like you haven't played the game in a few months. Like you're like, mm. oh, I'm getting like wrecked <laughs> every second here. Yeah. How does the motorcycle change things? Like, how quickly does it travel? Roughly, do we never need to look at a horse again? Uh well, it runs on fuel still, so you can't just use mm. it indefinitely. But uh... I mean, yeah, I would. I mean, I never use horses a lot in the main game anyway, because so much of this game is so vertical that like yeah. horses can't climb mountains. But instead of just land speed, his motorcycle just destroys it. Yeah. So what would you say is kind of, I mean, not that Breath of the Wild really left a lot to be desired, but if there was something that either of the DLCs added that was lacking from the main game or just the, the best new dimension that they've added to an already great game, motorcycle aside, what stands out to you? Um. I mean, yeah, the, the base game is already so full of stuff to do. I, I think something that these that people maybe hope that these would add that they don't is kind of more story. Like Nintendo kind of pitches as a more story-driven thing, and there are these kind of these neat flashbacks with these champion characters, but it's still like 
kind of like you know the sort of flashbacks, the kind of little prequel bits. Like you're still linked in the main. It's not like you play Zelda or anybody. It's still kind of in that weird. Like there's no post game. So you're doing like in the in the terms of the narrative, you're still all doing this as like in preparation for fighting Ganon. You already beat Ganon when you beat the main game. Um, so it's really more of the same, but the same is still like the best game of the year. So. Right. Yeah. So do you think that these DLCs enhance the game's case for Game of the Year? If we're including DLC as part of the package, do they enhance the case? Do they hurt the case? Do they not really change the case because the case was so strong to begin with? Well, for me, it helped the case and just it was a good excuse to play the game again right around this kind of Game of the Year time. And, yeah. you know, kind of remind me like, oh, no, I do actually like still think this is better than everything else now that I've had a chance to play it again and play new stuff. Um, so it's kind of just, it's just good politicking, if anything else, like, to like get it out. I think bumping it to the top of your inbox. Uh, so what are, could you, what are some of the, uh, give us some of the, the, the brand new content in this. What are the highlights? Um, well, I would say um, the shrines. The shrines are new puzzles. Like, you know, it's some of the same ideas as other shrines, like um, stuff with like having to like, use motion controls like manipulate like kind of rolling block like mm-hmm. rolling balls and like um you know using the magnet power on various things but um those those are all new and those have some really clever ideas i think some cool stuff like spikes or like a, a shrine that's completely dark that you have to kind of like feel your way throughout um and there's 16 of those and that, that's you know that's 120 in the base game so 16 new ones is like a and a motorcycle <laughs> <laughs> yeah right and so I guess, you know, you, you came back to Breath of the Wild after, what, a few months away this time and maybe a few months away uh, when you played the first DLC, too. Did each return to Hyrule enhance your appreciation of how much you enjoyed the first time? I mean, did going back make you kind of revel in how great it was the first time? Or did you think, eh, well, I, I guess I've played other good games since then. Did it help or hinder your memories of the core experience? I would say that the first one didn't help that much because it's definitely more for like, all right, it's more for like, you know, it kind of, I'm not, that game is, but it's difficult isn't what's so good about it to me. Like people, like, I don't know, like Zelda shouldn't be more like Dark Souls. Um, and so I was mm. definitely more into this one because it is kind of more like, more um, just new material to go through, like more new ideas, more excuses. Like even just finding shrines involves kind of, solving these riddles and being able to just explore the land again and see, you know, new little things they've added to the land. Like, that's what's cool about that game to me, not just it being hard. Um, so that's right. why, yeah, this, this second one has definitely made, this, had a bigger positive impact to me compared to the first one. Mm-hmm. So we were just talking about GTA Online and how it has lasted forever and has come to encompass many types of games that are now just under the GTA Online umbrella. If you had to guess... Could you foresee something similar happening with Breath of the Wild where we continue to see support for this game and new things added into next year, into beyond? Because, of course, the the typical turnaround for a Zelda game, it's not like an every other year type franchise. So if they could keep this game going until they get to the next one, that would be great. I don't know whether they've said anything to that effect or whether you think that there's that potential, but... Would you expect to still be playing Breath of the Wild in some form in 2018, 2019, beyond? Uh, I mean, that's interesting. Um, you know, part of the reason I think they did this whole season pass in the first place was, like, consider, like, how big that game is. Like, there's voice acting in it. I think it's, like, you know, it's, it's bigger than games than I think the game Nintendo is used to making. 
Um, it's certainly probably more expensive than a lot of those games. It was in development yeah. for the Wii U for the longest time, which was a dead platform. So, like, I think they, they just, like, we got to get, we have to make sure we, like, you know, get our return on this. Um, but I think, you know, this, this new design that comes with Zelda, what's so fascinating about it to me is that this game, like, this game is already phenomenal, but, like, you can also see where they could just start improving it. Like, what if there's just, like, like a musical instrument in this game? Like, mm. um, so, <laughs> I don't know if, yeah. if I would want necessarily more stuff in this game, but I think they should definitely build on this, like, technology for, like, you know, to get another one out faster. That's kind of like, like a Majora's Mask to this Ocarina of Time, I guess. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I'm... I'm glad that you you as you as we mentioned before the before the podcast the intro um Justin Charity is going to come one of our colleagues and he's going to argue vociferously for this game being not necessarily bad but not necessarily the game of the year. Give us why is this game great and if it is the game of the year in your opinion why? The kind of like individual sort of adventures that someone can have with this game like someone could like just have an anecdote about what they did in this game over the course of like even like 10 minutes or like three hours, it can be just a, to- a totally unique, incredible thing that takes advantage of like finding something new in the landscape or just seeing how these different systems all interact together. And it's all so polished. Like this game makes me so much like less to forgive when Bethesda games all break. Cause like you know, this game can be as open and like clockwork as it is and not have a million bugs. And like, what, what's their excuse? Um, it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful game. Like it's tone is something that I can't stop thinking about. Um, and it's just so like immediately playable. Like, you know, like I was kind of not super into that kind of early in the DLC, not super into that early kind of hard stuff. But like once I kind of got into that and remember how to play the game, I kept like, Oh wait, like I love this. Like I still love this. Um, yeah. The problem is that I think Justin's going to come at us next week with the argument that the plot is what holds Breath of the Wild back. And from the sound on, of it, the doesn't sound, <laughs> doesn't, yeah. Right, yeah, it doesn't sound like the DLC improves on that aspect of it. Oh, no, that's, if anything, probably one of my favorite disappointments about this DLC. So you touched on this a second ago with the musical instrument suggestion, but do you have any other dream DLC for Zelda? Any other ideas that you want to leave us with? Um, I mean, I would want to see an actual section like set in the past. Like, you know, the game has a kind of cool post-apocalyptic vibe to it, but I think to be able to see what it was like before all this, um, could be pretty like jarring in an interesting way. Yeah, I'll probably take a lot of work. Um, work yeah. that may be better spent like a new game, but I think that's something they could do with it. Yeah, it's such a huge world and such yeah. a complex physics system that it almost feels like it should just be the platform for future Zelda games and you could just kind of right. stick a new area inside this version of Hyrule. I, I don't expect that they'll do that exactly, but... I but wonder how much of it, though. My comparison is really interesting. Like, I never really considered yeah. it, but yeah, they could, yeah. Yeah, I, just, I wonder how much they'll borrow of at least sort of the, the underlying physics of it and the design philosophy and all of that, if not actually putting it inside this framework, just sort of, you know, stealing some of their excellent ideas from Breath of the Wild and porting them over to the next one. I'd love to help out your arguments for this, but fortunately, as the only full-time writer for Geek, my game of the year is the Scythe game of the year. So. <laughs> yeah, you got to go with the contrarian take to stand out. But I guess if you're the if you're the full time yeah. writer, then there's no one to to be contrary to, except everyone else on the no. internet. Yeah. All right. Well, you can read Jordan at geek.com. You can find him on Twitter at Jordan W Minor. Thank you very much, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you.
All right, that'll do it for today. We are now going to go our separate ways, yes. see our separate screenings of Star Wars, feel our different feelings about Porgs. I wish we were I seeing it together. We saw Force Awakens we together. Did. It was fun. No uh, Porgs are separated in that. by a continent now. No, no Porgs. So there's nothing to divide us except for my feelings about plays, which I confess <laughs> to you in the theater. Anti-play. More anti-play than anti-porg. Listen, all I know is Luke Skywalker is a fucking coward. He's been hiding on Octo with <laughs> like a, with a, several murders of porgs. And, I'm sure he uh, had his reasons. I'm, he had his reasons and I support the porgs. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll reconvene next week to discuss our more informed opinions about porgs and to talk about some other great games before we get to Game of the Year the following week, which is going to be contentious. So... That's coming up. We're not taking a break for any holidays or anything. Yeah. We will be back each of the next Fridays as scheduled. We'll talk to you then. You've been listening to Achievement Oriented, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Parks! <laughs> <laughs>